Hello and welcome to House Calls. I'm Vivek Murthy and I have the honor of serving as U.S. Surgeon General. I'd like to introduce you to Ashley Judd and her inner circle. Today we'll be talking about the power of friendship and chosen family. I believe deeply in the power of connection. This episode asks questions about what it really means to be a friend. How do we form and maintain friendships? How do they evolve over time or distance? What does it mean to have a chosen family? Today we're having a conversation with actress, feminist, and humanitarian Ashley Judd and her group of friends. She introduces us to the people she calls her sisters, Sam, Heather, and Logan. Our conversation explores how their chosen family works. We talk through moments of love and vulnerability, how they handle conflict and accountability, what it means to hold each other's differences and make space for one another's ideas. As a chosen family, they do all this while staying curious, respectful, and presuming goodwill. They know that no matter what, they will always show up for each other as friends in the good times and especially in the bad times. Ashley, thank you so much for joining House Calls and for joining with a few special guests who I'm eager for everyone to meet today. Uh, You and I, Ashley, we've known each other for some time, and I must say I've always admired your courage, your determination, especially during hard times. But recently, during a conversation that you and I had, uh, you let me in on a powerful resource that you have in your life that helps you get through tough times, and that's actually where I want to start. You know, a little more than a year ago, you experienced an extraordinarily painful loss uh, when you lost your mother to suicide. Uh, You've spoken openly about that experience and how it affected you, and you've done so in a way that's given a lot of people uh, courage and hope. And so I want to thank you for that. But I also want to draw attention to a particular group of people who dropped everything they were doing and showed up for you that day. They weren't blood relatives, but they were your chosen family. And I'm thrilled that they've joined us today for this conversation. We're going to come back a little bit to how they helped you on that day. But to start, Ashley, could you introduce us to your chosen family? I would be very delighted and honored to introduce you to my chosen family. And Vivek, thank you so much for your friendship and the depth and warmth of our rapport. I so enjoy our conversations, whether it's grabbing a coffee in Washington where uh casual paparazzi are more interested in you than they are in me, or at conferences uh, in Nantucket and New York, and you're just a gem, and I so appreciate our friendship. Thank you so much. And I also want to just acknowledge my higher power and ask her to guide my thoughts, my actions, and my speech because I'm a little nervous. And first, I, in no particular order, because they are loved equally, I will start with Heather May who is my chosen sister. We met at a funeral. Uh, We had a spiritual experience together. And then there's Logan to her left. Um, We met through her husband, uh, who was a goofball who made me laugh so hard at a recovery support group. And then he brought her to the meeting. And I was like, where have you been hiding this fabulous woman? And then there's my sister, Sam, who I also met at a support group. And when she shared, she said, I don't know if that made any sense. And I was like, lady, you just made so much sense to me and I want to be your friend. So we've got Heather, Logan, and Sam here today. And I appreciate their vulnerability and their trust in being in this space with us. Well, Heather, Logan, Sam, welcome uh, to the podcast as well. And thank you for joining us. I I want to start with each of you. Could you tell me how you met Ashley? Heather, let's start with you. Yeah, absolutely. So as Ashley had said briefly, we met at a um, mutual friend's funeral and um, Ashley walked into um, the private room before the funeral started and she said a prayer and it was um, just a really important moment and I got to see who she, who she really is. Mm. That's beautiful. Thanks, Heather. And Logan, how about you? Yes. Um, as Ashley mentioned, uh, my husband introduced us. And um, at first, you know, I had some of my own insecurities of thinking, why would she want to be friends with me um, as being a public figure? And uh, But she kept inviting us around, typically for running charades and um, 
family picnics. And the more I got to know her, I just realized I just loved her heart and mm. really enjoy being around her. Oh, that is beautiful. And I suspect, Logan, if uh, you weren't alone, perhaps, in in wondering what it would be like to be friends with Ashley if she wanted to be friends with you, given her public profile. And Ashley, I know that's something you've had to navigate, which isn't always easy in life, which I want to come back to. But Sam, let's go to you next. How did you first meet Ashley and what was your first impression? Well, I, as Ashley mentioned, we just kind of made sense to each other before mm -hmm. we even met. Um, and I was in a community support group one evening sitting with, I don't know, maybe 15 people or so. And Ashley came in. Um, and the first thing that I noticed was that she was barefoot. And I, you know, just recognized that groundedness and thought to myself, now that's how you do it. You come in here barefoot, you know, you come in here ready and with your feet right on the ground. So, um, you know, we got to know each other through sharing there. And um, eventually I was invited by Ashley to her home and met Logan and Heather um, that way. So Ashley's kind of the, the connector for all of us. Oh, that is wonderful. And, you know, I, I, what you're all describing, I'm, I'm just feeling this sense of warmth that you experienced when you first encountered Ashley. And I'm resonating with that because the first time I met Ashley was in Aspen, Colorado. We had, you know, we didn't really know each other, but we were introduced by somebody else. And I remember sitting down in this uh, empty space where they had just finished a bunch of events. And it was just me and Ashley on two chairs sitting next to each other talking for like, a half hour or 45 minutes. And I just felt like I had known her forever. And so I think you, Ashley, you have this powerful effect of showing up so authentically with so much warmth uh, for people. And it feels like you draw people into your life. And I, I want to come back to the day, actually, that you all came together when Ashley's mom passed away. Ashley, tell us what it was like to have your chosen family show up for you during that time of need. What was it like? It was um, steadfast, it was true, it was a given, it was assured. I knew with every fiber of my being that they would be there. All I did was in the car on the way to the hospital, I was, um, you know, my partner was in Europe at the, on that day, which turned out to be a real blessing because Pop was also in Europe. And so Martin was in Berlin and Pop was in Vienna singing and Martin flew to Vienna, collected Pop and escorted Pop home to Tennessee. So Pop did not have to make that journey by himself, mm. of which he would have been entirely incapable. So in the car on the way to the hospital, I was on the phone with Martin and both of us were just bawling and heaving. And I just sent a text to Sam, Logan, and Heather, and also our friend Laura. And I just said, emergency. Mm. That's all I said. Oh. Come to Williamson County. And in the time that it takes to drive there from their respective homes, they showed up. No questions asked, no context needed, no explanation was necessary. And then, um, the other text I sent was a code word that the desk uh, and I agreed upon so they would be escorted to the back where I was. And we were just together and fell into each other's arms. Oh my gosh, that is so moving. Especially the fact that you texted one word and your chosen family showed up. That's really powerful. And they weren't all local either. It sounds like everyone drove in from different places. Yeah, it's a relatively small town. So mm -hmm. fortunately, I wasn't um, suspended by mm -hmm. myself for too long. And I mean, they moved with alacrity. They moved mm -hmm. with alacrity. There's a word you used which struck me, which is assured. You said it was assured that they would show up. You just knew that mm -hmm. these folks would be there for you. It strikes me like what an incredible source of comfort that is, even during good times and bad, to know that you have that kind of support. I know that even in friendships, I know so many people struggle with asking for help. 
uh, even though they know somebody might show up for them. Has that ever been a challenge for you? And if so, how did you get to the place where you felt so comfortable asking your friends for help when you needed it? Well, I think that Sam Logan and Heather also model asking for help. And so they normalize it for me. Um, you know, I remember a time not that long ago where Logan reached out about something and, you know, Sam's really good at speaking up and Heather and I do these wonderful regular check-ins, kitchen table time, you know, they all have open door policies and I'm a stopper buyer. You know, I send a text first and ask, um, but I don't necessarily knock once I show up, I crack the door open and holler. (laughs) And, um, it, it has been difficult for me to ask for help. I grew up with the family disease of alcoholism. There was a lot of ick, uh, intergenerational trauma and unresolved grief. And the abnormal became normal. And I learned how to keep secrets. And something that I've learned in recovery is I'm only as sick as my secrets. So for example, I lived alone for two years as a child and didn't know that that was weird. And I didn't tell anybody because nobody asked. And so I've unlearned that behavior and I've become, uh, you know, very skilled at asking for help to undo the isolation and loneliness of that childhood that hurt a lot. Gosh, yeah. And this does go so deep, uh, just as you said, for so many of us, our patterns today are often the product of what happened to us in yesteryears and often early in childhood. Um, you know, so I, I can appreciate the journey you've been through to get from where you were to being able to ask for help. I'm also curious to ask Sam Logan and Heather, like when, like in your friendship, you know, among the four of you, uh, I imagine in addition to asking for help, sometimes you don't wait for someone to ask for help. Sometimes you proactively go and ask them, hey, what can I do for you? Or you just show up. Uh, And I know that too is a challenge sometimes for people in friendships who say, hey, I don't want to intrude on someone's privacy. I don't want to uh, stick my nose where it doesn't belong. How have you navigated that? Because it seems like you all have a wonderful way of proactively placing yourselves in each other's lives uh, when you need one another. Yeah, I can can get us started with this one, I think. Um, You know, Ashley has also modeled for me um, a kind of vulnerability just mm. in the world, being in the world that I didn't experience. And I think all of us met in, under circumstances where we were already open and vulnerable in some way, shape or form. And there was a mutual respect already for, you know, hey, I'm showing up here and it's hard and, and um, you know, I'm scared. We could kind of smell it on each other maybe. <laughs> and so I think my impression of of these women is that they have that heart that just knows. Mm. And so when I need support or I need to ask, there's just a safety there that allows me to do it, um, where in other spaces um, I would be reluctant to, you know, mm. and it would feel very, um, just very frightening. And I don't experience that here with uh, Logan or Heather or Ashley. It's just safe enough. It's beautiful. Yeah, and, and you know, I think I could add to that is that, um, you know, I think support looks different for everybody. Hmm. And so, you know, what might feel good and, and healthy for one of us might not be the same for the other. And so I think a lot of the times it starts with the question of, you know, how can I, how can I support you? And, um, you know, sometimes that means space, you know, sometimes that means I need a minute to process other times. It means, you know, could you just sit with me, hold my hand, um, say a prayer, you know, let me know you're thinking of me. So I just think it, it, it just depends in for each one of us uniquely. And coming into our space um, together, approaching it with openness and honesty, but also with reflection and a quiet space so that we are open to hearing from one another as well. Hmm. And I want to add a, a key thing here is that we don't give each other unsolicited advice and we don't tell each other what to do. Uh-huh. I think that's a, a core 
practice that helps create that safety. You know, unsolicited advice is always received as criticism. Hmm. And as Logan was saying, we, we ask these open-ended questions and we get real curious, like, I'd love to hear more about that. Tell me more about that. You know, what's the story you're making up? Is there anything I can do to support you today? Like, like today I was in bed crying and I obviously texted my sisters and I shared with them what was going on and I love you. I'm holding space for you. Um, that sounds so painful, you know, hold that little girl inside of you. She's really hurting. You know, that's the kind of, it's not like advice. And there's a really big difference between those kinds of responses. Actually, that's so powerful what you just said. And I want to underscore that because I think for many people, helping another person is often about giving them advice, telling them what to do. And I think it often comes from a good place. You think you're sharing your wisdom, your experience with them. But just as you said, sometimes that can be received as judgment. I love these open-ended questions, these expressions of support that all of you share with one another. And actually, I'm curious, you know, just you, you, they rattle off of your tongue so naturally, and it just seems like it's who you are. But where did you learn to ask these kind of open-ended questions to listen <laughs> as deeply as you do? Dr. Ted Klontz, <laughs> my wisdom teacher. Uh. So Ted and I have been together since uh, 2004. I was introduced to him by a family member in whom I saw beautiful changes. I found... I found the changes in her very attractive and very appealing, and I was benefiting from what she seemed to be doing differently. And I said, what's going on with you? And she said, oh, his name is Ted Klontz. I trust him with my life, which was a pretty robust endorsement. And so I, I reached out to Ted, and uh, yeah, we've been walking together ever since. And he's he's just, he's magic. You know, he's a really wise person, which is why I call him my wisdom teacher. And he says one of his goals is never to ask another question in his life. And so that's why these questions are very open-ended and not like, you know, what are you going to do about that? Or, hmm. you know, it's more like just being curious, just being really curious hmm. and letting the other person lead with what they want me to know rather than pushing my agenda of what I think I want to know about them. Gotcha. Oh, that's beautifully said. I want to spend a little time talking about the nature of your chosen family. First of all, I, I, people are familiar, I think, with this saying uh, that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. But what you've all built is something beautiful and in between, which is a family that you did choose. Uh, and I want to ask you, in your mind, like, how, how do you define a chosen family and how is it different from you than having a group of good friends? You know, I saw, I saw that question or something similar on our notes and I, I still am not exactly sure what the answer to that is. It's, it's such a feeling hmm. um, difficult to describe because of course I love my my family family, you know, the one I was born into, and there are deep connections there. But this chosen family for me has such um a sweet and deep um part to it. It's very um meaningful to me, obviously, because it is my choice. You know, this is an intentional set of relationships that I you know, choose to be a part of. Um, and I think that it really is the level of knowing each other outside of our families of origin as just unique people, you know, without all of the attachments that makes it so special to me. I, I don't have, um, you know, a role from childhood that I am trying to live in or live up to or get out of or whatever with these women and their families. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm Sam. And mm. that has been a big blessing for me. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I love that, you know, in ways it's all, you're almost describing a fresh start, a sense that you had with this group of, uh, of, friends who became chosen family. And even that designation, that notion of all of you as chosen family, like when did that come about? Like, was there 
a designated group discussion where you all decided that you were going to be chosen family? <laughs> did it happen more organically? How did that conversation take place? In my memory, it was it was pretty organic. It just sort of evolved over time. And I think the more time that we spent together, um, you know, as women, but then also with our families, with our children, with our husbands, um, you know, we just sort of had this dynamic that felt like family. Hmm. Yeah, and we do, I mean, I've gotten the education of how a healthy family works by being in this community. I didn't know how to go on a family vacation. And when I went to the Smoky Mountains for the first time with this group, I learned how to decide whose car to take and if we needed to rent a larger car and how to organize the groceries and what to bring and what to buy there and how we needed to have a supper pre-prepared so when we were moving into the cabin, we weren't all starving and trying to cook dinner that was too time consuming. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to do those things, Hmm. you know, and how to plan who was gonna bring the picnic for which hikes and how to have a group conscience about which hikes to do taking into consideration the ages of all the children. Mm. Those were beautiful educations that I learned in this chosen family, you know, and we spend our holidays together. Um, you know, and the, <laughs> there was the Christmas, everybody showed up and we realized we'd all had the same stomach virus the day before. <laughs> oh. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, and Luke, Danny and Logan's uh, son is here living with uh, my partner and me for a little while. And Heather trusts me with, you know, gender equality education for her children, for her daughter in particular. And, you know, Sam's girls, all three of them have been, you know, we've had incredible conversations. And I go over and visit her daughter who's at Yale Law School. And Rebecca, her daughter, has lived with me and has worked for my housekeeper. And, you know, we just, we're very, it's to me, it's this real commitment and dynamic and of, um, of, of being involved, of very intentionally curating involvement in each other's lives and being trusted to be a presence and a leader and a mentor in my sister's children's lives is the honor of a lifetime. Mm. Oh, that's, that's, that intertwining is so beautiful to hear you describe because it, what you're describing is the fact that it's not just you who are all connected to each other, but you are deeply connected with each other's families uh, in a really powerful way, the way an aunt would uh, or another member of a biological family. And you use the word, you've used the word sister several times, Ashley, when you've talked about uh, Sam and Logan and Heather. And I just, I love that term. Um, and it seems like you use that for each other. I think it speaks to the notion of chosen family. Are there other traditions or sort of moments that remind you that you're a chosen family, whether you've come upon them by chance or intentionally created them? You know, Sam gave me something from her grandmother. Hmm. Heather gave me this little zip bag that just, I, I just adore. You know, it says something about sister on it. Uh-huh. And Logan and I talk a lot about her role as a caregiver to her parents right now. Hmm. And I feel, I hope that I'm like a safe sibling, a neutral partner in, in being that listening. Cause one of the things I've learned from Ted is we all need a good listening to. Hmm. And, um, you know, our sibling is hopefully our longest relationship. And that is my hope Hmm. for these relationships, you know, is that we will walk together. (laughs) Sam talks about, us sitting in our rocking chairs with quilts over us, you know, with our hair long and gray. And that's my hope and expectation for this community. Uh, what a great hope. Yeah, what a great hope. And I certainly hope that comes to pass for all of you. Um, I'm also curious, you know, for people who are listening to this beautiful description of the chosen family you've all created, they may also be wondering just how it actually works mechanically. Like, how often do you stay in touch do you make it a point to see each other in person, like with a certain frequency? So tell me a little bit about how you approach that. Sure. We um, we stay in touch on a regular basis on our phones mm-hmm. and text messaging each other. And um, Ashley's really good about initiating um, 
pretty much weekly check-ins. Hey, can we FaceTime? When are you available? And, you know, that's across different time zones and geography. And, um, you know, we we make that time um, to stay in touch because that effort is important. You know, with Ashley's travels and her big availability, uh, she's just she's made it possible for us to stay connected to her. You know, she mm-hmm. just, she makes, makes it possible for us. You know, if she's not in the country, she will go out of her way to, you know, find a common time for all of us to meet or, or speak, or she has just this great understanding about, you know, some of us still have young children at home and we of course have careers and lots of moving parts in our lives. And So she might just give a call out, hey, sisters, you know, here's what's going on with me. Anybody want to come? And Mm. whoever can show up, you know, shows up. And it it is very organic. I hadn't really, like I said before, thought about um, defining this, but it all just kind of works. Um, And I think primarily it is because of the respect and, and the openness and we all realize there's such a level of competence, you know, each one of us is a very competent and independent woman. And so there's just a bedrock of trust hmm. that, that works. We stay connected to keep that solid. That's, and Sam, it sounds like from what you and Heather are saying that there's a certain amount of initiative that it takes mm-hmm. as well. And that yes. Ashley contributes to that. It sounds like all of you do as well, but initiative to invite people uh, along went to experiences to share how you're doing to uh, initiate perhaps uh, you know a, a FaceTime call uh, so you can all catch up and uh, it sounds like that's a key part of what helps keep you in touch as each of you taking the initiative. Yeah, definitely, and I think you know Ashley maybe catalyzed it initially, and then everybody just kind of ran with it. You know, so if one or the other of us has something going on in our family, it's just the call out, you know, to the sisters and their kids and their husbands. And, you know, sometimes there's a random parent or niece and nephew that also comes along. It's it's very much a, a join in and we love you and the doors open and you can walk in to Sunday supper with, you know, your hair a mess and crying because you fell down and skinned your knee or whatever it is. And and everybody's just there. So yeah. oh. it, it's, it's not just... hard to stay connected. There is an intention there, but it's just the place you want to be is you want to be connected. Makes it easy. Mm. And I try to have a one-on-one call with each woman each week, mm. um, as well as doing a weekly Zoom where all of us can be together and have a group hearing, a group listening, and a group sharing. And... I'm also, you know, Heather has traveled with me to my speaking engagements. Sam has traveled with me to my speaking engagements. And, you know, Logan, I just am um, a sofa dweller at their house. <laughs> <laughs> and as I mentioned, I have a lot of good kitchen table and back porch time at Heather's home. And uh, when Sam and her family still lived in Franklin, you know, mm-hmm. her husband makes the best popcorn and I was right on time every night. <laughs> <laughs> now, what kind of popcorn does he make? Popcorn is oh, very popular in my it's house. It's just delicious. He he does it the old-fashioned way on the stove with some oil and, you know, the perfect amount of salt or, or not. And you can request vegan. And, yeah, he's wow. just, he's great. And we we would pile on the couch and wait for the bowl. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds pretty good. But I love that you're sharing these uh, these tips because I think unlike perhaps 40, 50 years ago, so many people feel, find that they end up feeling connected to people who don't live around them, who aren't geographically in the same town. And this question of how do we deepen friendship over distance, uh, I think is a common question that's coming up in people's minds. But I think the fact that you all take initiative, I think ties back to something, Sam, you had mentioned early on, which is around safety and around the idea that all of you feel safe with one another, and you feel safe knowing that your outreach to one another uh, won't go rebuffed, right? That it's welcome. And I think that's a really important part of feeling like you can take initiative is knowing uh, that people want to hear from you and they want you to invite them into their lives and vice versa. Um, You know, I I, I know that I imagine as beautiful as your connections are that 
there probably have been some challenges that you've had to work through in your relationships. Uh, I think a key point about your chosen family is that you don't, you're not, you aren't all carbon copies of one another. You don't necessarily have all the same beliefs or the same politics or the same life experiences. Yet you chose to be family. And, and I'm curious: Have you ever had moments of conflict or challenge between you, and, and how have you navigated those? Well, one of the things I think we do really well, and I'd love to hear from the others as well, is we hold difference really well. Mm. We're able to hold complexity and paradox with a lot of grace. And and how did that come to be? I think it's kind of the foundation is that we get curious about things but instead of making a snap judgment or assumption or thinking we know um, what the other might be thinking or feeling or what their thoughts are. And I think we just have that understanding that even if we do not see things um, the same way, that we have a mutual respect for each other's lens in which they see the world. And so when we get curious about that and say, oh, well, you know, tell me more about how you experienced that or tell me more about how you came to that belief, um, I think we're just able to hold space for both ideas. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Logan, how did that come to be? Did it evolve to a point where you were able to sit uh, with difference and, and do so comfortably? Or um, was it naturally that way? Or did you have to build up to that and, and have conversations about it over time? I think it was a buildup, you know, I think, um, I think ultimately, you know, it being able to question myself and, and say, you know, I see that this is something I think I believe and why do I believe it? And being able to kind of understand myself a little bit better, then I can open that up a little bit more to a wider, you know, frame of reference to what other people are thinking or feeling and, um, but I think it's it's just been over time, and the more that I get to know each woman and the more respect we have for one another, I can respect what they see and the way they view things as well. And we talk about things. It's not like we just sweep things under the rug or sidestep or avoid like, oh, I know we have a difference there, so let's just be mute. We really talk about things. Like we, um, the rains came up here and we went to Maine for Thanksgiving last year, and it was around the time that the black woman at the University of Kentucky was assaulted by a drunk white dorm resident. And we just unpacked that from every angle that we could think of. You know, it's not like we just uh, don't talk. We really talk. Yeah, we use opportunities to learn um, from each other and about ourselves as well. That's part of the foundation of our connection Mm-hmm. Yeah, I one thing I think we have in common. I mean, I want to include myself in this is that we we welcome challenges. You know, these are women that will, you know, run out their front door at 5 a.m. and do triathlons and run across the country and you know, obviously travel the world and take on social justice issues. So when we come to a place in our relationships, I think where there's a challenge we we find safety in in the fact that we know each other is not going to you know give up or or walk away from it that we'll meet the challenge um because we matter to each other that much and we presume goodwill yes it's, it's very powerful i think especially for you all to say this and to demonstrate this example at a time when we have so much division like in our country and so many people increasingly feel like they can't have conversations with people who have different beliefs than they do. Um, This notion that we can create friendship and strengthen friendship and have deep friendships despite these differences, uh, I think that's a really powerful example for the country to see. I mean, I remember when slogan we were talking and you said you had a friend who couldn't believe that you could be friends with me. Mm. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was it was a neighbor. It was a neighbor that asked me that question. And I said, well, I guess you, you kind of would have to get to know her before you could make a judgment about somebody. So, yeah. And, and Logan, why? Tell us a little bit more about that. Like, why did your neighbor say that to you? Where was that Uh-oh. coming from? 
I, I would assume that it came from their own assumptions about mm-hmm. what beliefs they think I hold or, you know, we, we live in a, a little bit of a bubble of an area where there's a lot of similar belief systems and, um, you know, sometimes challenging that, uh, seems a little bit wild and radical to some. Hmm. Um, but I, I really think it goes back to the idea of, of their own assumptions about what I do and don't believe. Um, but I, I prefer it this way. I prefer having a diverse set of friends. You know, I think it would it would be very stagnant if everybody thought and believed the same way and there would not ever be any challenge to your thought system or I think it's healthy. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Logan. And I think all of you are such great examples of the fact that we, all of us, without exception, are so much more than a single belief that we may hold uh, or an affiliation that we may have. And you've created a space where you can, you've allowed yourself to understand the full complexity of one another and to not only appreciate that, but to grow from that. And I think that's, that's what we need more of certainly in the world. There's one other thing I want to ask you about, which is about accountability in friendship. I have, um, these two very close friends uh, who we actually recently did a podcast episode together for for this podcast. Um, and uh, they're two dear friends, Sonny and Dave, and they're in, in a way like my chosen family. And one of the things that we do, of the many things we do for one another, is to actually help keep each other accountable on certain goals we have for our health, for our relationships, um, even decisions we may make about like our professional lives. Like We, we try to keep each other honest. Uh, but I know that this notion of accountability and friendship can be treacherous. And some people worry that, hey, if you're trying to hold a friend accountable, that can create conflict too. So how have you managed and navigated accountability and friendship without necessarily creating conflict? I'm very grateful for the ways in which my um, chosen sisters hold me accountable. And immediately, Heather comes to mind in terms of her very strong and tender faith. And when we spend time together, Heather's a really good one for coming over to my house in the morning for coffee and just this wonderful visiting time. And we talk about our shared faith. We talk about the God of our understanding. We talk about um, scripture. And it's just a natural part of who Heather is to weave in these tenets into everyday conversation. And I feel that that holds me accountable to my spiritual practice. Hmm. You know, it reminds me that it's the waft and weave of who I am and how I do something is how I do everything. Hmm. And that I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Oh, that's And these are not is... Yeah, these are not separate things. Like I don't pray and meditate in the morning and then get up and go about the rest of my day. It's like once I went I was at church and the, and the preacher said you are now dismissed into the presence of the Lord. Mm. at the end of the service. And Sam holds me accountable to my inner child because I would love to like outsource the care of my inner child to somebody else sometimes, like especially my partner because he's so good at it. And she (laughs) just is always reminding me that I have to hold my own hand, Mm. you know, and fundamentally be there for myself and take responsibility for loving and nurturing that sweet part of me that really needs me. And Logan is just a woman of such high principles, values, and ideals. She has such high integrity that Logan calls out that integrity in me and I, and holds me to this. And I mean, I hold myself to that high accountability standard because I want to live up to the kind of integrity that she has. And be mm-hmm. it's like this mutual accountability, like I was going to be at CGI speaking and you know, I love and adore President Clinton for many things, and I've got some challenges with him as well. And I say, I feel like I'm cooperating, but not affiliating. What do you think? And, you know, she was the perfect person for me to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had a very good straight answer that I had not considered, right? Mm-hmm. But she was just the perfect foil, the perfect intellectual and character building foil for that question. Thank you. <laughs> What a beautiful tribute uh, to the chosen family. 
There's so much you said there that really struck me. This notion of being a spiritual being, having a human experience, as opposed to the other way around, that, that really resonates with me, Ashley, and I think it's a really powerful frame shift. Um, I, I also think this idea of um, of having friends who can hold you accountable to care for and pay attention to yourself and be responsible for yourself is important. And I, I think this hits close to home for me because I realize, I, I think I'm realizing it as you're talking that I think I, I've also, I've been guilty in my life of um, looking to other people uh, sometimes to take care of me uh, and not taking care of my myself. But that's a place where I need to take more responsibility and focus on caring for myself and not necessarily rely entirely on others. So that, that these hard truths, I think, are important for us to hear, and how who better to hear them from than people who love us, who we can trust. So I wanted to ask you, know, for, for people out there who are thinking or listening to this conversation and thinking, hey, I want to have a chosen family. <laughs> how do I create my own chosen family? I'm curious how you would advise people to go about thinking about creating their own. And if they have friends, for example, who they want to be a chosen family, like how does one start that conversation with your friends? It's a great question. But I think, you know, most importantly, there needs to be um, an honest foundation and transparency and um, the ability to be truly authentic. Um, I think those are the foundations that, that I would look for. You know, if I were starting a new chosen family or adding to a chosen family, I would want all of those things to, to be there and to be established and, um, to have that sense of comfort that we have with one another. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. And to add to what Logan says is vulnerability, of course, being willing to be vulnerable. Yes. You know, I initially wanted to say, look for people that don't wear shoes. Um, <laughs> but, um, and I think I've seen Heather and Logan barefooted plenty of times too, to reinforce that, you know, I've got, I've got a great family here. Um, I think the knowing that, you know, I have a heart commitment to these relationships, um, and being willing to invest in that commitment, um, you know, even, when it's not convenient, even when we live in different places, you know, I, I moved away from the town where I met, um, Heather and Logan and Ashley. And so there was this heartbreak that occurred and some of it I didn't even expect, you know, I just longed for these Sunday afternoons, um, you know, running around with everyone's children and eating fried chicken and, you know, being silly or being whatever we, we are when we're together. And, I really faced um, a difficult place where I had to just wrestle with the missing. Um, but we have been committed to the relationship, so we, we've made it work. We've met in various cities, and I travel home to my, you know, to my chosen family as often as I can. And people come to me, you know, it's just, it's really great. I would say choose, choose those people that you can commit your heart to. Um, and that, that just kind of came for me from that safety that we talked about earlier, that feeling of safety told me that, yep, these are, these are the people. And I think also to add to that is it, it will take time. There's no yeah. like poof, magic chosen family. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think it, it, it evolves over the course of time and, uh, you have to be patient with, with that time too, because you can't rush it. You can't force force of friendship. There's a lot of it that's just natural, but um, you have to give it time just to develop and to experience mm -hmm. actual life things with one another. I think I have something that I would add about, you know, putting wheels under it in practical terms. You know, when, when planning an activity with someone who's a candidate, think about really co-creating it so that it's a shared experience and letting go of the control of being the sole designer of what the picnic, the supper, the outing, and do different things. Like we had someone come teach us how to make pie crust. And, you know, one of the things that we really like to do is ask everyone what their magic wand 
activity is for the time that we're together? What's the one thing you really want to do to make a memory, to make sure that everyone gets to do that one special thing? And everyone shares like the thing that they really have to do. Last Thanksgiving, Luke wanted to watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. (laughs) (laughs) And Martin wanted to be able to go on a run with Logan. I said, I I needed to take a nap every day. Um, And that way everyone avoids disappointment and isn't just going along with groupthink. So to co-create and co-design and to have your individuality that's also supporting common welfare, you know, and, and to cook together and not just have one person do all the work and then to play these little games and we can maybe throw this up on your website but to play these little games um and then um you know when you're winding down share what your favorite memory was like what was most special to you and we had this great experience where there was a windstorm was rattling the whole house. And I said to Martin, I think everyone is wide awake. So I sent a text to the whole group with whom we were staying. And it was the kids who wrote back were terrified. And so I said, come downstairs to the kitchen. And I made hot chocolate for everybody. Hmm. And when we were leaving and we were sharing what our favorite memory was for the kids, it was like hot chocolate at 2.30 in the morning. You know, so be spontaneous, be open, just be natural. Let go of the control of what a perfect experience is going to look like so that the possibilities can unfold. Mm. Oh, that is such great advice. And I was actually thinking that of whether there was like a set of guiding principles uh, that you'd have for your chosen family. And you've already mentioned a number of them, which I thought were powerful. Honesty, authenticity, vulnerability, commitment, uh, flexibility, as you were saying, Ashley. Are there any other sort of principles that you feel help guide your chosen family? I think sharing the space, you know, and rotation. Mm. And I think also, um, you know, I don't know if it falls under a principle, but um, something that I find to be important is allowing my children to contribute to the group in whatever way they see possible. And that looks differently for each one of them. You know, there's the the one scenario that keeps coming up to mind is, um, you know, when, when we all showed up for Ashley, um, Drew was nine at the time. And, um, we were, we were, we knew that everybody probably needed to eat. And, um, after being at the hospital all day and Drew said, um, I know Miss Ashley likes whole foods, rotisserie chicken. And so that's what he showed up with, you know, at, at, at nine years old, like that, that was his way to contribute. And so I feel like each person, not just us women, but each child, each spouse has a contribution and it's all unique and different depending on, you know, where they are and what stage of development that they're in, but that we give them the space to do that. Um, I feel like it's, is super important. That participation is the key to harmony participation is the key to harmony. This has been such a wonderful conversation for me in particular, just to be able to reflect on the nature of your friendship, to be able to see what you have created, which is something so beautiful at a time where so many people are struggling with loneliness. We know that there's a loneliness epidemic that's happening in our country, uh, but also in many other countries around the world. And ways that we can rebuild our friendships with one another, and and you've done it so beautifully through your chosen families. I think this is how we're going to get through uh, this very difficult period uh, that our country is going through. Uh, you know, as we as we wrap, I, I want to ask you just one, one sort of fun question here. If you all could, without any travel logistics or any other barriers involved, if you could pick one place in the world where you would have your chosen family reunion, where would that be? Well. I think I would probably choose Ashley's house in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because so Sam would choose Ashley's house. <laughs> yeah, it just accommodates us all so well. Great. It's either Ashley's, Ashley or the uh, the Smokies. We'd go back to the Smokies. Smokies, okay. I like that. Logan, how about you? Yeah, both of those sound great. But then, you know, I, I, I could also just maybe say Switzerland because I got to see... Um, mm. When I was on the phone with Ashley, Martin's uh, parents' home, and I believe grand, maybe grandparents' home uh, in the picture, and it looked beautiful. Mm, Switzerland. That's gorgeous. Mm. And Ashley, how about you? 
Well, I'm so honored that you said Chanticleer because that just indicates to me that there's a lineage there, you know, that we've got that history there from our picnics and with mom and pop and Uncle Roy, because we didn't have, we didn't really have the opportunity to get into this, that it's really generational as well with my mom mm. and pop and Uncle Roy being the elders of this gang. And, you know, one of the things that I think this group does well is wonder. Mm. You know, we all went to New York City recently, the whole gang, when I was um, being given some very lovely distinctions, including the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's Lifesaver Honor. And so the ladies and I packed up and Audrey, Heather's daughter, came too. And we just have a sense of appreciation and gratitude and honor. And so Switzerland would be amazing to experience that together. Sam has been. Um, and Heather knows Austria. And it would be incredible to show you that. But honestly, what came to mind was Tahiti. Oh, <laughs> I cannot okay. say. But I just think that the kids would be so. And I, I, my first little job was to file brochures at a travel agency. And I was besotted with the idea of Tahiti when I was 15 years old. So huh. something about my inner child is like, I want to take my sisters to Tahiti. <laughs> I'm in. Well, I will say this to your chosen family. It sounds like you have some travel ahead. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. So this will be great. You know, finally, Ashley, maybe one last question for you as we close, which is, Ashley, you have traveled the world and seen so much of the suffering that people are contending with in, in their lives for so many reasons. And we read about it in the papers every day. We hear about it on the news. But when you look at the future, whenever I talk to you, I feel like I leave with the sense of hopefulness uh, because I feel like you uh, inside feel hopeful. And I'm curious, what, what gives you hope when you think about the future? I do believe and experience that feeling safe, known, witnessed, validated in my reality and loved makes me feel hopeful. Mm. And that's what these women give me. That's what these women give me. You know, just to be known in my reality and validated is, um, it's so humane. Hmm, so beautifully put. Well, Ashley, I wanna thank you and Logan and Sam and Heather for this wonderful blessing of this time together and this beautiful conversation for sharing this powerful example of what you have all built in your lives, which is inspiring, but also I think instructive uh, as we think about how to build greater connection and reduce suffering in the world. You know, I've, I've always believed that there are three things that all of us need, regardless of what cultural background or region of the world we hail from. We all want to be seen and understood for who we are. We all want to know that we matter and we all want to be loved. And in your chosen family, you have given those three gifts to each other in such a powerful way. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Uh, I'm so grateful to all of you and we'll certainly look forward to the next time our lives intersect. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you. Thank you for having us and for who you are and what you do. Peace be with you. Peace be with you too. Thanks for joining this conversation with Ashley Judd and her chosen family. Join me for our next episode of House Calls with Dr. Vivek Murthy.